and welcome to Women in the Business Arena, formerly known as the Liberation Lab. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, success strategist for women in business, and I'll soon be joined by my dear friend and co-host, Laura Guzman, an amazing psychotherapist who works with women entrepreneurs. Together, we dive into juicy topics relevant to women in business. We've learned through decades of being entrepreneurs how to conquer the business arena and achieve not just success, but fulfillment and liberation. We also believe that this is a continual journey of ups and downs, so we get honest, vulnerable, and real about what it takes to succeed. Think of this as joining our inner circle of women discussing the issues that matter and the strategies that will help you enjoy the ride. If you want to continue the discussion, join our Facebook group, Women in the Business Arena. We would love to hear from you. Okay, let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Women in the Business Arena podcast. I'm your host, Sonia Statman, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Laura Shuk-Guzman. Hey, Laura. Hey, how's it going today? It's going well, and I'm, I'm actually quite excited about our topic today because I feel like this is something that I get a lot of questions around and something that I have also dealt with in my business. We decided that today we're going to sort of dive into how do you discern between a good fit and a bad fit when it comes to people in your business. Now, we're going to talk about it sort of across the board. So how does this relate to having a client? How does this relate to partnerships? How does this relate to hiring? And we're going to sort of explore what you do when sometimes, you know, no matter how many filters we have, a bad fit comes through our doors. And so, you know, how do we also deal with it when that happens? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, we're taking a very open approach to this conversation, which I think is good as far as, um, you know, being in business is about being with people, you know, yeah. <laughs> like no, hardly any businesses exist in a vacuum. And so whether even as a solopreneur, if you're not hiring and working with the team and you're still going to have your clients and, and deciding how do you attract a good fit for your services or your program. Um, and then when you're working with the team, how do you build that team with people? Or even if you want to partner then and have a co-founder or um, business partner. So there's so many things or even partnerships with other groups or organizations. So I really think that this is a good conversation. We haven't died. We haven't really dove, dove in. We haven't dove into this before. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. And I think, you know, we have to sort of start with, I think sort of clarifying as well that it's a practice discernment and being able to determine the good fit from bad fit. It's a practice. And even though like I am well practiced in good fit, bad fit, I'm still always practicing. And sometimes someone moves through it into my program that wasn't a good fit. And I have to sort of sort that out and handle that. Sometimes I can't always discern a good fit from a bad fit when I'm hiring. Like it, it is, there's no perfectness you can have with this and it is a practice. So I just want to sort of put that up front because we're going to explore it and talk about it, give you some tips for it, but ultimately like you're going to make some mistakes and then you're going to correct. And in fact, sometimes the mistakes and failures in this department is actually super helpful. Yeah. Agreed. You get more and more clear as you practice um, the art of relationships. I mean, we know that in all areas of our life that um, that humans are complex and we're messy and just having relationships, working things out, finding places that we overlap and align, and then recognizing where maybe we aren't a fit and how to uh, kind of use that information when you're picking your next um, partnership or you're hiring or maybe you're, yeah, attracting new clients. So I think this is, this is great in that it's relevant to so many different things. And, um, I hope today as we sort of, um, sort through, I'll be reminded myself because I was thinking about this lately with, I'm really ready to build a bigger team to support my co-working space. And I've had some conversations with the co- other co-working founders and it's a challenging um, job description to, to fill as a mm. co-working manager. So one of the challenges that we have is not just a good fit, bad fit, but how do you really create um, for like clients? How, I mean, for hiring or a team, how do you get really clear about what you need and in crafting a job description or putting out there really, really, you know, with clarity, like what you're, you're looking for. So 
Yeah. And I think that is actually related to good fit, bad fit. I mean, one of the things we have to be clear about what is good fit, bad fit in our own mind, you know, in our own awareness and what we like believe and determine we need, because if it doesn't start there, the note, the description won't align, the thing we attract won't align. And I think, you know, just to sort of, you know, obviously we talked about it kind of being a practice, but I think one of the other real key pieces to remember is that we as humans and definitely people in business, especially if you're doing any self-development, like we evolve. And so therefore the people who we're aligned with will change. Mm, yeah, that's a very good point. And so you have to kind of come back to your um, descriptions of what your staff looks like, a description of what type of clients you work with. Yeah. Uh, you're constantly needing to, to check in because as you evolve and the business evolves, then the people that you're working with. So yeah, that's a really good point. So it's probably tip number number one. Well, we've already given two tips, I think, you know, like <laughs> one being very clear um, with description as far as if you're writing on, on your website, what type of client is your ideal, who you really want to work with, like being specific or whether it's a job description and then being willing to tweak those um, descriptions over time, knowing that we're not always going to be seeking the same type of um, person that doesn't that compl that um, one one thing that we're seeking that would complement us last month might not be what's complementary in six months or a year from now. Yeah, and I think part of what we have to look at as women is that we struggle with uh, feeling bad, right? Feeling bad to let people go, feeling yeah. bad to not be able to help everyone, feeling you know. And so you know, for instance, with it with clients, sometimes if the bad fit client comes in and we can't serve them to the best of our ability because they're not really a good fit and we didn't realize it or we didn't know it, then we feel really bad. Like we should be able to serve everyone. We should be able to help everyone. And I think this is part of the consciousness or mindset that we need to shift in our business because the truth is we can't help everyone. We can't serve everyone. We can't, you know, we're not going to align with everyone and that's okay. That's completely mm. fine. I'm so grateful that you've brought up guilt because I think that that is a kind of unspoken emotion that many women are going to be struggling with when it comes to um, acknowledging or being honest with someone that we think it's a bad fit. Like we, we immediately think it's bad. Like so many, you know, um, so that's, you know, when something's misaligned, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just the reality of the situation. But for so many of us, um, myself included, there's kind of a, so, you know, growing up in the South, you know, we women are sort of conditioned to be hospitable and um, to be pleasers and to make sure everyone in the room has, you know, plenty ice water. Like what do they need? You know, it's like constantly this kind of in service to others and let's be polite. And that's a lot of um, conditioning that I've had to work on through my life. So it's interesting to watch how that comes up in a service business mm. with clients that you may not be the, the right fit in that you're recognizing that you're not able to serve them or they are saying like, this is not serving me, but then feeling guilty and, and trying to get out of that arrangement or that um, relationship can get really sticky. I think more so for women than men, because I've noticed kind of observed, this is just generalization in my own experience, but I've watched men move in and out of business partnerships. Um, even if it's messy, they're very much more decisive about it. Um, so even if like it does affect their relationship or friendship for a while, it's just done. Like they, they kind of like decide it's not working. I'm sorry, it's not working out. It's just business, not professional. And I don't often see them lamenting it the way I see <laughs> women like constantly yeah. rethinking whether or not they've... Um, you know, handled it in a way that was best for all parties involved. Yeah. And I think we've got to come back to some middle point, right? Because, you know, women will go too long in a bad relationship or too long with a bad fit, trying to, you know, just really like yes. ramming their head against the wall, like trying to make it work. And men will just cut it off very sort of like impersonally and, you know, without emotion. And, and I think as women, we don't want to go that direction but we also right. don't want to go, you know, we need to set some boundaries. We need to be clear. So then what is the path in the middle? And I mm. guess, you know, for myself, 
it's about being as respectful as possible, right? It's about, you know, I shouldn't continue to have to hurt myself to serve someone else, but also I can be sort of as um, respectful as possible. So for instance, if you decide you are firing someone, you know, then you, you can do it lovingly and kindly and also giving them some notice so that you're not literally like you're gone tomorrow and helping Mm -hmm. them make a transition plan. Like, you know, so there's ways that you can do things that I think are more respectful and honoring of the relationship, but also not at the cost of yourself. And this is what I think we've got to switch around. We can't keep sacrificing ourselves for someone else. We can't keep sacrificing our livelihood, our success, what we're here to do. And like I find what happens sometimes is we get so fixed on that bad relationship that then we are ignoring all the good ones, all the people we're serving, all, like all of our attention for those people who are ready and who are a good fit. Um, we lose some of that for the person that's the bad fit. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's something actually um, that you can use to kind of get clear, you, you know, that whole um, kind of exercise where you're kind of looking at what, I forget who coined that term, right? The energy vampires, Um, the people that, that really take energy, like just thinking about that within your business, you know, who are the customers or the clients that feel like they're taking a lot of energy, but you're not really getting a lot back. Cause there are sometimes people that require a lot of energy from you and your business, but you're also getting a lot back from working with Mm -hmm. them. So that's not an example. It's, it's like where it's one way Um, or business partner or, partners or, um, or, P- or your staff or your team. So it's kind of an interesting one to look at is like, where is my energy going? That feels like it's really sucking energy or energy leaks. You know, it's like, this yes. is where my energy is leaking. Um, that just kind of helps you see misalignments. I feel like that's a good assessment for what's not aligned is where's that energy leaking. I know that's something we speak to a lot. Yeah. Yes. And I think that is such a huge, and I have experienced this just recently as well. Like you can tell, like I can have two people who are at the same place, like in a way, like they're, you know, struggling. A lot of times where people get stuck is struggling with the internal stuff, right? It's not like external actions people can take. I can say, hey, do A, B, and C, and people do A, B, and C. But then sometimes what I find is the results that people are getting or not getting in this case is really about what's happening internally. So I can have two people in some ways in the same place and one can feel inspiring to work with. There's no pull on my energy. Like it feels really helpful and I love working with them. And the other person is totally draining. And I think these are the, these are the things that are really interesting to explore because to me, what's happening is there's a misalignment in those, you know, in that energy that's draining. Sometimes it's because, you know, they are pulling energy, right? Because that can happen. Sometimes it's because um, they're just unwilling to be coachable. Like that can happen in my business where, you know, there's just not, there's not a coachable, they're not open. They lose trust in me or they're, they lose trust in themselves, you know? And so it's really hard to continue to coach them. And so I think, you know, these are the pieces that we have to begin to look at is that where is the alignment and the misalignment? What is like really where our genius is, which will always enliven us and always feel amazing and always be inspiring. And the parts of us that are having to, I don't know, work extra hard out of our lane. And then that becomes draining. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like then on the other side um, of this little piece is then to attract people that are really aligned, then it's going into this exercise from that other end of imagining what does create that flow? Where am I in my genius? What type of people are around me? Who do I work with best? Like think of a recent time that you've been working in some type of, whether in service to someone and what worked really well when you Mm. were the, um, the coach or the therapist or the provider or whatever role that you were in. Um, and then thinking, yeah, what really worked there or in a hiring situation, like what are the teams that have always really helped you feel supported or what type of business partner would really help you feel excited every day to work on your business? I think that sometimes we, 
we often also is like, this goes back to what you said, Sonia, we work really hard to make things fit. Like women have a little bit of a, um, that workhorse, um, thing where we just like, okay, well, if it's, if it's, it's not great or, you know, but this person really wants to work with me or they really want to do this, um, or they really want this program that I'm offering, right? <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it's like, we can get kind of where we over-function, mm. Um, and we're working so hard. We just want to fit it in like that, that whole expression, like fitting a square into a round peg or something, you know, and just being able to let that go. We don't have to be all things to all people and just look at like, but where do I shine? Like, where is it that it's flow, that it's easy, that it's fun to be able to work in collaboration or around in service to these people? Yeah. And I think this is actually really, really an important topic because this is what I see in myself and in a lot of women I work with over the years is that, you know, we're so quick to want to help someone. And then that's outside of our lane. That's not in service to ourselves. And truly that's not in service to other people if we're not operating fully in our genius in our lane. And I think, you know, like I teach my clients in the sales process, if someone is a bad fit, someone's not a good fit and you can feel it even in your gut, you don't even offer them your program. You don't even put it on the table. And I think, you know, this is a really important piece because we're so taught to be in in service and then we're over-delivering and we're over-compensating and we're over, you know, extending and it's like very, very exhausting. And that's not a sustainable way to run a business. And so, I mean, I think so many of us have been brought up this way. I mean, I know for myself, this is a very core pattern I've worked on for literally decades. And, (laughs) you know, for me, it was like, I was taught that I was in, I was designed, I was built to be in service to others. I was, you know, like that was my gift. That was my value. My value was over servicing. So like, that's yes. what I did. Yes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I relate to that one. Yes. Mm. And so I think when you start working on it, like it's a really hard, it's a really hard sort of pattern to unwind and because it's so indoctrinated, it's so reinforced and then it's reinforced in our value. So we have to sort of strip apart like, Oh yes, we do have value. That's not just about being in service to others, right? We do. There is a value just by us breathing or just by us existing. And you know, this becomes really important because we are in service businesses. At least that's what I operate in and that's what I teach in. You know, so being in service is not over delivering or serving anyone. It's like contributing to the world. It's providing impact to the world in a way that is also sustainable to yourself. Mm-hmm. And both parties benefit when that relationship is based on a give and take. And it it's rare that a relationship can thrive for very long, if at all, when there is that over-functioning. Like a relationship might exist and mm. because it's not a healthy dynamic, but in order to really thrive, to grow, to become what we all really want to experience, that needs, you know, to have that give and take. And I, I do think like just underlining that a little bit, that that's, you know, some of the challenges that a lot of women in business face is that the working harder than we need to at something because we just don't want to give up like staying longer in a mm-hmm. in a relationship with a client or a business partner or an employee or a contractor whoever it is like we're just staying in those relationships too long out of a feeling of um guilt that we're that it didn't work um or an over functioning like I'm going to make this work I'm going to make this work and just staying you know, in just in something that's not going anywhere. So that those are interesting things for me to ponder right now to think of like, gosh, how, how often has that shown up and really limited both myself and the person that I'm working with, if that dynamic is present. Yes. And it is limiting. It's actually not in service. And this is what we have to redefine and re sort of frame is that it's not in service to over deliver ever. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, that is such a, 
um, sort of, it almost feels counterintuitive because we're so used to over-delivering. We're so comfortable with over-delivering that like somehow compensates for our feelings of inadequacy and our feelings of, you know, being a failure or whatever else we've got going on, our imposter syndrome. You know, it's like we're compensating all those feelings instead of dealing with those feelings. We're compensating them by over-delivering, by extending ourselves past a comfort zone, by delivering something outside of our lane, um, or just by trying to serve people because, I mean, it's hard, right? Like we, I mean, as women, I think we feel things, right? Obviously. And so I feel people's pain and sometimes I can see their pain. I can see what they're sitting in and I just want to help. I just want to heal them. I just want them to, to move out of it, but I can't, that's like not my job is, you know, and this is, this is a big realization for myself, and this may not apply to everybody because I do work with some people who are healers. But one of the realizations I came at myself recently is that I'm a teacher. I'm not a healer. And so what, what that requires is people to rise up to the lessons. I can't come down and fix them. Like, you know, and this is a very big sort of shift in dynamics for me in that definition is that I'm not here. If someone just wants to lay on a table and have me fix them, that is not my job. Like I can't do that. What I can do is, is provide the lessons, provide the education, the teaching, the awareness around what's happening so that they can rise up to the lessons. Um, and that's really changed a lot of things for me. Mm-hmm. You know what, as you're talking, you know, what came to mind was, um, I don't know if any of the listeners will recognize, but there is a, um, a book and kind of a movement within couples relationships called Conscious Uncoupling. Mm. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a book. I believe there is actually a book, a therapist who wrote that. And then there's been other workshops and things that have kind of come out of it. But it's the idea of um, breakups, or especially for divorces. I know couples have who have really tried to apply it to breaking up um, a marriage because it's a conscious uncoupling. So you're being very mindful, very conscious of how your dynamic is coming apart so that it is more respectful to use the Mm. word that you used earlier. Like there's this, and I think that's something in our culture that we don't, or maybe even as women, because there's a lot of guilt about anything not working out, but this knowing that you can actually separate and you can go your separate ways. You can break up in a way that's very loving. Mm. that that's very much like a, you know, this isn't working out and how do I still get what I need and how do you still get what you need? But we decide that we're no longer working together in the future. We're no longer going to be, um, partnered. And, and, you know, so I was just thinking like, that's kind of what I feel like we're speaking to today is if you are going to recognize something's misaligned, just remember that it's not a bad thing to disconnect. You can do it very consciously and mindfully and respect both you and the other person and it actually frees both of you to be more of who you authentically are to recognize that and say, this isn't working out. Let's go just do this separate, separately. Yes. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that's really important in business because if we want to operate ethically and consciously and with compassion and care, like that still shouldn't be at the sacrifice of ourselves, but it should be in alignment with our truth and our morality and what we, what we believe we should be as an ethical person and as an ethical business. And so I think that becomes really important to find sort of the line of where are we aligned with our own moral code, right? Where are we aligned with ourselves in a way that feels good and authentic? And I think, you know, one of the things we can't really talk about this issue without addressing sort of the feeling of of failure, right? Because I don't know about you, Laura, but I know that almost instantly, if someone doesn't do well in my program, even if that has nothing to do with me, if, you know, someone I hired, I have to let go because it's not a good fit. You know, I always instantly think I'm the failure. Like, I did it. It's my fault. Something I should have done better. I should have done more. I'm just not enough. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. This is sounding very familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all me. I just, if I would have done it better, if I would have handled this or that, this would have probably worked out. Right. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> 
And so I think, you know, like this is what we have to reconcile. And I can't say that I have it all healed in myself because I don't like, I still feel bad or I still feel like a failure if everyone is not getting the ultimate results in my coaching, like in my program. And I still feel like a failure if I haven't, you know, like somehow I haven't provided, you know, the people I hire with enough information or enough, you know, coaching or enough mentoring or somehow I failed in that relationship. And it's so easy to put the over responsibility on ourselves. But we have to remember that each relationship is two parties, you know, at least. And so it's like we, there is a responsibility on both ends. As people, the only power we really have with each other is agreement. There is nothing else. We can't control and manipulate. We can't take responsibility for someone. We can't overcompensate for someone. We think we can, but that's all an illusion. The only actual power we have with another being is agreement. Yeah. And being true to ourselves and allowing ourselves to hear the truth of another, like can sometimes lead us in opposite directions and that that's still okay. It's not a failure on either end, but that's so interesting how we do try to assume that responsibility and immediately personalize like, oh, it was me. I I was completely in control of this whole thing and I yeah. messed it up. <laughs> You know, which is really arrogant, really, like to think that we're in control of another being, you know, that's like, it gets into that sort of arrogance. And, you know, I I think we've done that or we do that because we want to feel like we have more control, right? Because that ego protection. Yeah. mm, Yeah. Because we feel out of control in working with people because we are, (laughs) you know, and it's like, you know, I think about this with the kids because, you know, sometimes we think as parents that we have control over our kids, but that is a fallacy. That is an illusion. We can fear them into behaving and fear them into being controlled to some mm-hmm. degree, but like inwardly, we still don't have control. And if we don't have alignment and agreement, well, that's going to cause a lot of problems later on. Right. And you look at all the different um, tax- tactics that people use with each other in uh, romantic relationships because there is that fear. You really mm. know that you don't control the other person, but you want to feel like you do. So there's all sorts of different ways that couples will um, create dynamics to feel like a sense of control, um, sense of you're not going to leave me or I'm not going to be hurt. And so I think it's interesting that we don't, I think we're more aware of how those dynamics play out in vulnerable relationships, like romantic relationships. We're more, um, you know, there's a lot more out there about it and books and people are are able to make that connection. I think that when it comes to business, we're sort of under recognizing the messiness of human relationships and the Mm. play out that those alignments or misalignments have, you know, in our business arena. Like I really think it's just kind of something we overlook or don't really think about. And then until something is not working and then we're like, what's going on? Like I need to break up with this business partner or I need to fire this person or I just got fired from my client or you know, whatever yeah. it is. Totally. And so I think like, let's break this down in a few pieces because I think one of the things that I want to talk about is is steps, right? Because we obviously we want to create good relationships in our business with clients. If we bring in partners, you know, and also with the people that we, you know, choose to hire, like all of those relationships are really, really important in our business. So one of the first things I would say is prevention is much better than sort of untangling it once you're in it. So, you know, we can't always prevent. And so we'll also talk about what you do once you're tangled in it. But I think we really have to talk about prevention, right? Just like with disease, prevention is so much better than having to heal the disease. So let's talk about ways you can prevent a bad fit or a bad situation. And I think one of the first things is you have to be really clear about what you want. And you have to know yourself because it isn't just a fact like, you know, we can look at clients as an example and say, I want someone like, this is what a lot of people do with me. I want someone who has money. Okay. I want someone, you know, who can pay for me. And it's like, there's a, there's sort of all these kind of obvious things. They're actually thinking about what they don't want. And then they're giving you the list. Mm -hmm. That's the opposite. But I think sometimes we have to really know ourselves, like what personalities work well with us? 
You know, what behaviors can we actually best serve? You know, so I think we have to understand ourselves as well, ourselves as a coach or consultant or wellness practitioner. You know, it's like we have to understand who we can best serve based on what we offer. So I think that's really important as one thing. I think that's very important. And I think when you do that exercise, being mindful that there's something that can occur, um, I speak from personal experience on this as well, is that when I start really creating my ideal situation, I may encounter um, some scarcity mindset where yeah. what I'm really wanting to invite in is abundance, that of course I can work with these ideal people. The scarcity mindset is, who am I to get this picky? I don't have my, my, my phone's not ringing. I I need mm. clients. I need to get busy. Like I can't just get very picky here, you know? And so mm. I've seen people go into the scarcity and stop themselves from actually creating really feeling into that list of qualities. Like these are the people that yes. I work well with and that I love working with and that always enjoy me. Like just who is this what is the ideal dynamic? So I just want to point that one out that when you see that little one, little scarcity mindset (laughs) kind of peep up, just having, recognizing, noticing it, maybe just saying a few loving words, you know, that it's okay. We're a little afraid to get really clear about what we want. Um, But this is about being abundant and having exactly the type of relationships and interactions in my business that I desire to have. And I have everything I need in order to do that. Yes. And I think part of that prevention process, like you said, is committing to what you actually want. And I see this constantly in the sales process, right? A lot of people, you know, like my clients will have a sales call and they'll offer their product to somebody who's a bad fit. And I'm like, why did you do that? (laughs) You know, know? and there's like this fear sometimes that Mm -hmm. I don't, like you said, I don't have an abundance of calls. I need to create money. And it's also why coming from that sense of fear and scarcity is not the best way to create a business. In fact, it's, it oftentimes doesn't even work. We don't even really create the right people we don't create abundance. We don't. And it's because we can't come from sort of that fear and scarcity. We have to come from our commitment to what we really want and a commitment to who we can best serve. And I think that, you know, that can be tricky sometimes because there are psychology plays out in that. And sometimes mm-hmm. we look at, you know, who we can best serve is sort of based on our fears and scarcity and our psychology instead of on like really some honest exploration of like, who really can I best serve? You know, can, yeah. you know, I need people, for instance, for, you know, for my own practice and my own business, I need people who are willing to take responsibility. Like I can't best serve someone who is in victim mode or who is unwilling to take responsibility. Like there's nothing I can do in that or someone who won't reach out for help when they need it. You know, like I can't, chase after everyone, you know, trying to be like, Hey, Hey, like, do you need some help? Like, you know, it's like, so you know, you start to recognize these are some of the things that I need to have the most conducive environment just so I can serve best. Now that's not anyone being perfect or we wouldn't have any problems to fix, right? We wouldn't be in business if someone was perfect, if someone was completely integrated and they, everything was amazing, but there are certain aspects that we need our clients to be in so that we can best serve them. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that to take this one a little bit further, and one of my friends um, and colleagues who, who is a paperwork fanatic is going to be applauding me in this one, is that the next step, <laughs> once mm-hmm. you get really clear about who it is that you want to work with in that ideal dynamic is creating that into your contracts, really getting clear, Mm -hmm. thinking about the paperwork, like the, you know, we talked about that in the beginning of, of writing down like who you want to attract so that they can read about your program or read your job description and, and say, ding, ding, like that's me. But then one step further is once you've decided to to create that agreement, then you're really putting some preventative measures in there. Like, okay, so um, how are we going to have this relationship? You know, some contracts have a trial period, like we're going to work together this long and then we're going to check back in and see whether this is working. Um, Especially if a business partnership, something really big where you really need to see if this is going to be the long haul. Um, So ways in which um, you think about yeah, how you enter into the agreement. Once you've decided, okay, this feels like a great alignment, 
Then there's also preventative measures so that if for some reason it turns out that's not the case, there's a conscious uncoupling that can happen that's laid out that you guys both kind of expected and, and you have the framework of, you know, that you can speak to. Yeah. And I think what we're talking about here is a clear agreement, right? Like yeah. not enough people are making clear agreements, whether this is with a, with a client, you know, whether this is with a partnership, whether this is with hiring, the pieces that you really need a clear agreement. And so, you know, even in my own business, I've been thinking about this because I do have contracts. I have people sign agreements, but you don't always know whether someone really reads it, you know, whether they really look through it and understand the perspectives in it. And so I've been looking even for myself, like how do we, I ensure there is a clear agreement that they understand what I'm talking about in my contracts, that there is clarity around that. So I think that's something to explore, you know, in that prevention process, you know, it's it's so far what we've talked about is you have to be absolutely clear, you know, Mm -hmm. and willing to be committed to your ideal. Then you've got to, you know, put that in your job description or whatever that looks like, you know, and I think one thing we've forgotten even before the contract is that then you've got to be willing to say yes or no. Like you've got to be willing to actually trust your gut and be discerning in the moment before you say yes or no. Right. Because that's one of the things I see a lot of people struggle with. Like they, everyone's afraid to say no. They're afraid to say no to bad clients. They're afraid to say no to, you know, bad hires. They're afraid to say no to bad partnerships. Like there's this fear around saying no. And so sometimes that is a barrier in and of itself that has to be handled because if we don't say no, then it's, it's in such detriment to the people that we're coupling with, if you will. And I think- You know, one of the ways I try to frame it and look at it is that we are doing such a beautiful, beautiful um, service to people by saying no. Like when I tell people they're not a good fit for my program, they're so appreciative. Like they actually are so appreciative that I was honest, that I was, you know, willing to not just take their money when they're not a good fit. Like there was this beautiful, you know, space where they're like, wow, no one's turned me down, but that's like actually great. You know, it's, and so I think that's what we have to start to look at even in that part of the prevention. Mm, The importance of that is so, oh, that's so important. I'm glad you spoke to it. It makes me think of um, the kind of the question I asked myself, like whenever, because I used to be kind of an over um, zealous yeser, like, yes, okay, I can do that. Can do that. Um, I'll help with that. I'll take that on. And so now I pause a lot more and ask myself, you know, is this yes, a no to myself in any way that doesn't feel right? Like really checking in, like I'm saying yes. And then what, if I'm committing to that, in what way is this maybe saying no, or in saying no, what am I saying yes to for yes. myself? So it kind of helps me to turn that no and yes around a few times to kind of see it from that angle of like, okay, what am I actually allowing and what am I not allowing that's going to transpire for myself? Because I was really quick to want to just yes um, for that other person. Like, oh, this is great. They're really excited. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I think that I'm grateful that you're underlining that one. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, just to reiterate that this particular thing is a skill, like discerning a good fit from bad fit is a skill saying no is a skill. Like this is a skill. And so we're skill building. And I talk a lot about skill building in my program. I talk a lot about skill building of my philosophy because we're so quick to think we should just be good at something. Like we should just, it should just happen. We just decide and it's just done, but we don't recognize how important skill building is. And that takes time and that takes practice and that takes mistakes and that takes failure. And like all of that is part of the skill building process. I mean, discerning good fit from bad fit is something that I actually have made as a defined skill in my program because the ability to do that will totally shift someone's business, but it's a practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. These are not things that we develop overnight. I mean, even look, the two of us, we have had a lot of experience um, myself over 10 years and yours is like almost 20 or something yeah. lady. Um, <laughs> so, you know, over the years, this is something that we've continued to practice and continued to hone and, 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 and I'm still there times that I get carried away with something I'm eager to say yes to, or I may be feeling out of control or a little bit hopeless and desperate and something presents itself. And I'm like, okay, yes. Um, 
And, you know, usually I've gotten to where I, I, I know it kind of as I'm doing it. I'm like, oh, this is probably not going to end well, but I'm a little bit too desperate to do anything about it. I'm just, you know, it's, it's funny how over time you can still make these mistakes, but I do feel like you get more and more in tune and you're quicker to catch it. Or just sometimes I watch it and go, oh yeah, like I'm doing this because I'm a little bit stressed out right now and I'm hiring really quick or I'm, you know, making this decision and I'm not a hundred percent about it. And then later I'm like, oh yeah, remember that? Or remember that you actually knew that and you did it anyway. So maybe next time let's be a little kinder to ourselves and try that differently. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times I can go back in my own life and I do this with clients as well. Like where was the red flag? right? Where was the red flag that we didn't listen to that this was a bad fit or a misalignment? Because, you know, you can't always tell in the initial pieces, like someone, you know, someone sounds really good. They, they say all the right things. They literally are like, check, 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 check off your, you know, list. And you're like, wow, like they're perfect. But inside there's like this little feeling like, "Mm, but something isn't right, but something doesn't feel like a good fit, but something, you know, is there and we don't listen to it. And so I would say nine times out of 10, and maybe even a 10 out of 10, when I really help someone look back at a sort of when we're untangling a relationship and we look back, I'm like, where was the red flag? And they usually could find something. And in myself as well, I have to own that. You know, I have to look back, okay, where was the red flag? Where was there some sign that this was a bad fit and I didn't listen to it or didn't hear it or, you know, didn't really acknowledge it so that I can take responsibility as well. And I think those things are really important. So we've kind of talked about the prevention side. Let's sort of dive into what happens when you're in it, because this is where I think a lot of people struggle. They're like, that's great and all, but now I'm in a relationship that I want to uncouple and how the hell do I get out of it? (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) This is the one that's where you're going to have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like it's uncomfortable when something needs to be said. Um, that you can pretty much predict that they're, that you're going to be uncomfortable. They're going to be uncomfortable. I mean, sometimes there's a interesting thing that happens where you think that the other person is going to really react and then they end up saying how relieved they are that you're the one that spoke to it, you know? Um, so sometimes you're like, Oh my gosh, I was feeling the same way. I mean, this happens in relationships when you go to break up with someone and they're like, Oh God, thank you. I was, I was so ready to get out of here. Um, so that does happen at times, but I think like getting really really okay with owning like that it's that this is about owning what you know to be true and that it can be a bit uncomfortable yet honesty and showing respect for the other person goes a long long way even in that initial discomfort or maybe them feeling a little hurt or not you know understanding the situation yeah yeah Yeah. and I think You know, the first thing we always have to start with is ourselves. At least this is my philosophy and in my experience. You know, we have to sort of handle first where are we not neutral around that person? What what might we be reacting to? Where are we responsible in the situation? Because I think if we don't handle ourselves first, then we're not going to be able to come to them in a more respectful and honoring way because we're still dealing with our own feelings around the situation. So for me, it's all that's the first port of call, right? It's really sitting down with myself. It's journaling. It's coming to some realizations. It's maybe asking for help if I have you know someone that I could go to a provider. You know, it's it's really sort of working through my own feelings around it and my own reactions to it and possibly my own projections on that person as well so that I can come from a much more neutral point to a proper agreement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because that, and it's the same thing like in um, any type of communication coaching, you know, you learn that to speak from your experience is always a way that opens people up more to hear what you have to say versus trying to speak to their experience or telling them how they've impacted um, you kind of in this, the you versus I language. So I think being able to get really clear and journal and like, what is the I, what, what can you own? And then you go to that person and say, I've really been struggling, you know, with this. Um, and I feel as if, Da, 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 da. It's like, but really staying clear with what 
has been happening for you opens up the conversation, of course, a lot better than when you sit down with someone and you just say, look, you've been really um, doing this and that. It's not aligned with me. (laughs) And they're like, oh, wait a minute. Um, So just you really can't quite do that and have those conversations if you're not clear. Yeah. Like you said, on, on your own experience. And I think, you know, part of that things we talked about before, which is that guilt and that feeling like we, the over-responsibility and the over-delivering, you know, that really gets in the way of a proper agreement, right? And what will happen is we'll overcompensate. You know, I I have done this so many times, really. I'll overcompensate. I'll let someone out of a contract. I'll let them not pay me what, what, like I deserve to be paid, you know, things like that in order to sort of overcompensate and to not feel my guilt. But what it does is it makes me bitter and it makes me feel like, cause it wasn't really a clean agreement. It was me trying to overcompensate for different areas. And so this is why that sort of handling of our own stuff is so important and making sure we're not operating out of guilt and making sure we're not operating out of overcompensating, but what really is a fair agreement going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this one also is about listening to your gut because you'll know that you'll feel like, okay, this is mine. And in this other stuff I'm feeling is not mine. It's not something because sometimes we go to try to speak to something that really isn't our experience. And that's where we can kind of end up in a, in a situation where the person doesn't connect with what we're saying um, because we're not really speaking truly from our intuitive place of like, okay, And, you know, because sometimes you can speak to the confusion be like, this has been really a hard decision or I'm not really sure why I'm feeling this way, but something is um, just kind of nagging at me and I'm trying to figure out what needs to happen. And I'm feeling like I may need this separate space or whatever it is that you're, or I think that we may not be um, supporting, I may not be the best person to work with you or to be your boss or to be your partner. But yeah, I think that... um, the practice of the the conscious uncoupling is that you are owning your experience, you're being respectful, and you're still sending love and appreciation for another being as you say, like, it's okay that the way that the agreements that we made can change. Yes. Like, I just want to revisit these agreements and I have some ideas for how they can change. It doesn't change the fact that you did have whatever experience that you had and that there's still a lot of honor and respect for that person possibly. I mean, usually yes. if, if you've been staying true to yourself and trying to be in communication and there hasn't been some big blowout yet because we were talking about being kind of in alignment throughout that, that process and checking in with how you're feeling and then deciding that it's time to, to break up. <laughs> Yeah. And I, and I think we can't talk about this without talking about like, we need to give ourselves permission to change an agreement, right? Because this is like so many people, it just drives me nuts. I've gotten in many arguments over the years. Like some people believe that if you've made a promise or you've made an agreement, you have to stick with it and you do it till it's complete, right? That's a very masculine linear concept. The truth is we evolve and forcing an agreement just because you made it at a different time and a different set of circumstances with a different idea or concept or where you were, like we have to give ourselves permission to change the agreement. And you can do that in a respectful way. You can come to someone and say, look, this isn't working for me anymore. I really appreciate where you were, you know, where we made this agreement before, but it's no longer a good agreement. So let's come to a win-win agreement for both of us so that it feels good, so that it feels right, so that we can progress and move on. And I think we've got it. The bottom line is we have to give ourselves that permission to change agreements because we need to. It's there's no agreement that is sustainable forever. Yeah. Yeah. And unless you have something to add to this piece, I just thought about something um, to speak to from the other side of, okay, because we're talking about good fit, bad fit Mm. of if you've actually had a conversation, you've been able to repair something and you move forward. (laughs) It's like, there's another little swing that I just wanted to take before we wrap up our call, but I wanted to make sure, do you have anything else to add to that? Mm -mm. Sounds good. Dive in. So so what I'm thinking is like that we've talked about how to be preventative to have the good uh, fit. And then if you realize that it's not a great fit, you may have this conversation in part separate ways. There's also the opportunity, sometimes we bring things to people's attention and we can repair a misconnection, mm. a misalignment. 
Yep. Now that might need coaching or a mediator or something or some outside help, but I just want to kind of drop the little the drop in the pond and let that ripple a little bit. And then I want to also speak to you then if you have made a really good choice and you are feeling really aligned with your clients, with your um, business partners, with your staff, it's really important, even though there may not be problems or per se or misalignments that are challenging you, when we have these healthy dynamics, we want to still check in and, and have these call, these little actions and meetings and say, how are we doing? This is what I love about being in partnership with you. This is what I love about having you on my team. This is what mm. I love about working with you. And so a relationship takes this constant care and mm. nurturing. So yeah. I think that just wanting to kind of swing back to if you've actually been able to, to find these really awesome fits to remember that they do take that care over time because we are messy, complicated humans and we always need to still check in with each other. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I so agree. And I think that's a good place to sort of wrap up for today. I mean, this is obviously like a dynamic, complicated sort of topic, you know, and so what we want to do right now, I think today is really just sort of bring awareness around some of the things you can do to prevent it, some of the things you can do when you're in it, but it's not really a linear process. Like I can't give you ABC, do step one, do step two, do step three, especially once you're tangled in it because it's going to have to be unwound and there's a lot of sort of components and pieces. But definitely if you are really struggling in one of your relationships and business, whether that's a partnership or hiring or a client, you know, get some support because sometimes just someone outside of you can see it in a different light or can help you untangle your feelings from the other person's feelings and start to, you know, make some sense of the situation so that you feel more clarity when you're going to make a new agreement. Yay. Thank you, Sonia. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you all for joining us and we will see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can dive into more of the conversation in our Facebook group, Women in the Business Arena. You can also access all of our episodes and some great resources at womeninthebusinessarena.com. Our mission is to arm more women with the tools, strategies, and know-how to navigate the business arena with ease so they can create more success, more fulfillment, and more liberation. If you're enjoying the show and want to support our mission, you can write a review on iTunes or share with your friends. A huge thank you to all of you who commented, reviewed, and shared our show. We are so appreciative of your support. Okay, talk to you next week.